1: Welcome to the Word of Life Studies series, Healing is the Children's Bread. The subject of divine healing is significant in the scriptures and is woven throughout the entire Bible as part of God's redemptive plan for humanity. In this season, we'll take a comprehensive look at God's will concerning healing. I'm convinced that the essence of divine healing is found in God's love and His compassion in action for suffering humanity as a result of the curse of sin and death in the world. I named this series Healing is the Children's Bread because the word of God plainly makes it a major staple for the believers to receive, enjoy, and share with others. Acts 5:20 The angel told Peter, who was delivered from jail, "Tell the people the full message of this new life." Healing bread, bread in ancient times has been the symbol of life and nourishment for our bodies. It always has been regarded as something wholesome and good, representing the basic necessity of life. It is no wonder that God makes a divine connection between natural bread and the Word of God. As Jesus said in John 6.63, The spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. As natural bread sustains physical life, Jesus Christ, the Word of God, sustains us on all three dimensions of our being, spirit, soul, and body. For in Him we live and move and have our being. Acts 17.28 Matthew four. 4. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Job 23.12 I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. Jeremiah 15.16 When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, O Lord God Almighty. Psalms 107.20 He sent forth his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Proverbs 4.20, My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. John one fourteen, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus so eloquently articulates to mankind that he is our all in all not only our creator god but our very essence of life and fulfillment he completes us sustains us and fills us to overflowing never to go hungry or thirsty again in any area of life he is the alpha and the omega revelation 22:13 in john chapter 6 verse 30 so they asked jesus what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you what will you do our forefathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, "I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives his life to the world." Sir, they said, "From now on, give us this bread." Then Jesus declared, "I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes on me." will never be thirsty. In verse 47, Jesus goes on to say, I tell you the truth, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the man in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Only Jesus can satisfy the deep hunger and thirst of the human heart for God, as deep calls to deep psalms forty two seven Certainly, there are many aspects to Jesus being our bread of life that we can draw rich revelation from for this series. We're going to focus on the aspect of divine healing in the context of Jesus being the bread of life for the healing of our physical body and soul, mind, will, and emotions. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, which has afflicted humanity with all forms of sickness, disease, pain, and suffering. Acts 10.38, 1 John 3.8 Jesus called this deliverance and healing the children's bread in Matthew 15.26 and Mark 7.27. Notice that Jesus made a wonderful statement concerning healing. Let the children eat all they want. God is never on short supply, nor is he stingy or withholding when it comes to healing for his children. Even those who are not part of God's family can receive healing from the Lord. Mark 7.24 Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go, the demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. As natural bread is life for our physical bodies, so the word of God is life for our spirit, soul, and body. We are going to cover a lot of territory on this subject of healing from the word of God. Proverbs 4.22 calls God's word life and health for our body. The Hebrew word translated here is marpeh in the Strong's Concordance, which means medicine, a cure, and deliverance. Receiving God's word into our spirit is like receiving medicine for our body. In the natural, we generally take our medicine a number of times before we see any results. So it is with God's word. I will be presenting key concepts multiple times, since faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10.17 So if you remember hearing a certain point before in the material, it was by design, and more than likely you will hear it again further in the study. Colossians 2.6 So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Cautions 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. My heart's desire and prayer is that those who listen to this podcast season will enjoy a comprehensive study on the subject of divine healing. I name this series Healing is the Children's Bread because the word of God plainly makes it a major staple for the believers to receive, enjoy, and share with others. In Acts 5.20, the angel told Peter, who is delivered from jail, tell the people the full message of this new life. Sadly, this wonderful subject has come under vicious attack over the centuries because Satan wants God's children to be oppressed by sickness and disease in an attempt to hinder the plan of God in the earth and fulfilling the Great Commission. I have researched this subject extensively, and fortunately there are many excellent works for the body of Christ to receive further revelation knowledge on this all-important subject. I encourage you to allow the Word of God and the Holy Spirit to transform your life so that you can be blessed with divine healing in your personal life and in turn bless others with God's healing word. Acts 20.20 You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. So, without any further delay, let's jump into the Bible and discover all that God has to say about healing and health for His children. Who has believed the report? Isaiah fifty three one. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? My encouragement to you as you listen to this podcast to be open in your thinking. There may be some unbiblical traditions and mentalities that will be challenged along the way. Please don't turn me off. Of course, you are not obligated to accept anything in this, in this podcast if you can't see it plainly in the Word of God and bears witness with your spirit. However, if you begin to see things in the word of God that may be a little different from what you have been accustomed to, we need to stay with the truth of God's word, and not with what we thought the Bible said, or what another person said they thought the Bible said. I don't know about you, but if I am wrong in my thinking, I want to know about it and change so I can receive God's blessing in my life. Acts 17.11, Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Utterance is greatly affected by the hearer. It can be harder to get the message out in some places than others. This dynamic oftentimes is found with the people who are listening or should I say the manner in which they listen. When folks get excited and hungry, things happen but if they are bored and are thinking about what's for lunch, the Spirit of God is grieved. In the Gospel of John chapter 12, John by the Holy Spirit was making a connection with Jesus in regards to his miracle and healing ministry as a fulfillment of Isaiah 53.1. However, this principle of believing the report, or lack thereof, has broad application today. John 12.37 Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, They still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet Lord, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe, because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts, so they can neither see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. In regards to ministry, Some are sent, and some just went Acts Here we see the Holy Spirit had sent Paul and Barnabas into the mission field. They were not sent by a human committee. When it comes to ministry, the key is being called, appointed, anointed, and sent by the Holy Spirit. Some folks can get up and give a good talk, but they are not sent of the Holy Spirit. When the anointed word of God is being taught or preached, it is in our best interest to listen carefully, and take to heart the word of God that is being spoken, like Mary in Luke 2.19. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. Romans 10.13 For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one whom they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. But I ask, did they not all hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Let's talk a little about the arm of the Lord. For example, the arm of the Lord was exerted when God raised Jesus from the dead. But when it comes to casting out demons, it only takes his finger to flick them. Luke 11.20 But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. The arm of the Lord or the power of God is revealed on behalf of those who believe the report. The measure of attention that is given to what we hear is the measure of what we will get out of what we are hearing. There can be two people in the same service, and one individual's life is completely changed and transformed, and the other one just sitting there, bored. The difference is how one hears, how we esteem what we hear, the value we place on the word of God. Spiritual things never grow old. If it's old to us, it was never real to us. Mark 4.24 in the Amplified, Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure of attentiveness to the word you use, it will be measured to you. And even more, whoever has ears to hear will be given more. Whoever does not have ears to hear, even what he has, knowledge of God's word, will be taken from him and will forget it. Luke 8.18 Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, will be taken from him. The scriptures declare that the power of God is revealed to those who believe the report. So note to self, upon hearing the word, if I still don't have any joy and peace over the circumstances of life, I have not yet believed the report, no matter how dark the situation may be. If I hear the word on a subject that I am dealing with, and I am still just as sad, upset, and full of fear, I simply have not believed the report of God's word. If we believe the report, it affects us inside and out and will reveal a visible change, because we believe the good news. If we say, but the doctor says, I'm going to die in a few weeks, then we don't believe the report of the Lord, which says in Psalms 118.17, I will not die, but live, and will proclaim what the Lord has done. Rather, some believe the doctor's report instead of God's report, because that is what the world says we are to do. For those who esteem the word and come out to hear the word when it is ministered because they know the word will make a difference in their life, they will not be disappointed. The word is at work only in those who believe the good report of God's word. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God which is at work in you who believe. So is it still the will of God as in the past to heal all who have need of healing and to fulfill the number of their days? The greatest barrier to the faith of many seeking bodily healing in our day is the uncertainty in their minds as to it being the will of God to heal all. Based on mere observation, nearly everyone knows that God does heal some, but there is much in modern theology that keeps the people from knowing what the Bible clearly teaches. Healing is provided for all all the time. It is impossible to boldly claim by faith a blessing which we are not sure God offers, because the power of God can be claimed only when the will of God is known. Before anyone can have a steadfast faith for the healing of their body, they must be rid of all uncertainty concerning God's will on the matter. Appropriating faith cannot go beyond one's knowledge of the revealed will of God. Before attempting to exercise faith for healing, one needs to know what the scriptures plainly teach. That is, just as much God's will to heal the body as it is to forgive sins. This lesson is specifically designed for that very purpose, to provide an abundance of scriptural evidence, to build such a certainty concerning God's will on this subject. It's only by knowing that God's promises, what we are seeking, that will all certainty can be removed. And a steadfast faith is made possible. Each promise of God and His word is a revelation of what He has already eager to do for us. Until we know what God's will is, there is nothing to base our faith on. John 8.31 To the Jews who had believed in Him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Until a person who is seeking healing is sure from God's word, that it is God's will to heal him, he is trying to reap a harvest Where there is no seed planted. It would be impossible for a farmer to have faith for a harvest before he was sure the seed had been planted. God does nothing without his word. It would be next to impossible to get a sinner to believe unto righteousness before we had fully convinced him that it was God's will for him to be saved. Faith begins where the will of God is known. If it is God's will to heal only some of those who need healing, then none of us has any basis for faith unless they have a special revelation that they are among the favored ones to receive it. Faith must rest on the will of God alone, not on our desire or wishes. Appropriating faith is not believing that God can, but that God will. Because of not knowing it to be a redemptive privilege for all, most of those in our day, when seeking healing, add to their petition the faith-nullifying phrase, if it be thy will. Faith begins where the will of God is known, and God's word is God's will. He sent his word and healed them are the words of the Holy Spirit in Psalms 107.20, Fenton's translation. All his works is done in faithfulness to his promises. For each sick person to know that it is God's will to heal him is the seed which is to be planted in his mind and heart, and is not planted until it is known, received, and trusted. No sinner can become a Christian before he knows that it is God's will to save him. It is the word of God planted and watered and steadfastly trusted which heals both soul and body. The seed must remain planted and kept watered before it can produce a harvest. 1 Peter one twenty three, having been born again, not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible through the word of God which lives and abides forever. Praying for healing with the faith destroying words, if it be thy will is not planting the seed. It is destroying the seed. The prayer of faith which heals the sick is to follow, not precede, the planting of the seed of the word, upon which alone faith is based. Many, instead of saying, pray for me, should first say, teach me God's word, so I can intelligently cooperate for my recovery. We must know what the benefits of Calvary are before we can appropriate them by faith. You see, faith rests on more than just mere ability. Let me give an example. If a billionaire were to appear before an audience of a thousand people with the announcement that he was able to give each one a million dollars, this would be no basis for any faith for a million dollars, because faith cannot rest on ability alone. If he should go further and say, I will give 50 of you a million dollars each, even then there is no basis for anyone in the audience to have faith for a million dollars. Were you to ask one of them if he or she were fully assured of receiving a million dollars from the billionaire, the answer would be, well, I need the money and I hope I'm among the lucky ones, but I cannot be sure. But should the billionaire say, it is my will to give all of you a million dollars each, then everyone in the audience would have a basis for faith. It's a sure thing. No more guesswork. Everyone would undoubtedly say to the rich man, Thank you, I'll take my million dollars now. If we want to know God's will on any subject, let us read his will in his word. Suppose a lady should say, my husband, who is very rich, has passed away. I wish I knew whether he left me anything in the will. Well, I would say to her, why don't you just read the will and find out? The word testament, legally speaking, means a person's will. The Bible contains God's will and testament, in which he bequeaths. To us, all the blessings of redemption. And since it is his last will and testament, anything submitted later is a forgery. A man never writes a new will after he is dead. If healing is in God's will for us, then to say that the age of miracles is past is virtually saying what is the opposite of the truth that a will is no good after the death of the tester. Jesus is not only the tester who died, he has been resurrected and is also the mediator of the will. He is our lawyer, so to speak, and he will not beat us out of the will, as some earthly lawyers do. He is our representative at the right hand of God. For the answer to the question under consideration, let's look away from modern tradition and go to the word of God, which is the revelation of his will. In the 15th chapter of Exodus, just after the passage of the Red Sea, which typified our redemption and was written for our admonition, God gave His first promise to heal. This promise was for all. God named the conditions. The conditions were met by the people of Israel. And we read in Psalms 105.37, He also brought them out with silver and gold, and there was none feeble among His tribes. It is here that God gave the covenant of healing, revealed by and sealed with His first covenant and redemptive name Jehovah Rapha, translated, I am the Lord who heals you. That is God's word. Settled in heaven, a never-changing fact concerning God. Exodus 15.22 Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water and the water became sweet. There the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them and said, If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. To say that this privilege of health is not for God's people today is to change God's I am to I was Jehovah Rapha. Who has the authority to change God's redemptive names? This universal state of health in the nation of Israel continued as long as God's conditions were met. Then 20 years later, Numbers 16 verse 46, when because of sin the plague destroyed 14,700, they again met the conditions and the plague stopped. And he was still Jehovah Rapha. He is the healer not to some but to all. It would not be true that the plague was stopped if it remained on even one of them. This state of health again remained uninterrupted until 19 years later, when the people not satisfied with God's way for them, chosen in love and mercy, spoke against God and against Moses, and they were cursed with poisonous serpents. When they again met God's conditions by confessing their sins, his word through Moses to them was in Numbers 21 verse 8, Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it upon a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he or she lived. So again at this time, the scriptures show us that it was still God's will to heal, not some, but all. Everyone that was bitten lived by looking at the bronze snake which was a foreshadowing of the coming sacrifice upon Calvary by Jesus on our behalf. You know, in today's age, interesting enough, folks talk a lot about universal health care. While well, that concept is not new, it originated with God and continues to be enforced as a divine benefit for believers today to enjoy. God at Work Hebrews 1.3 The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. Colossians 2, nine. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you've been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. Jesus Christ is the absolute expression of God's will. There is no better way of ascertaining the proper answer to the question before us concerning God's will in regards to bodily healing than by reading the Gospels, which record the teachings, and the works of Christ. He was the expression of the Father's will. His life was both a revelation and a manifestation of the unchanging love and will of God. He literally acted out the will of God for humanity. Therefore, when we see him healing the multitudes of people that came to see him day after day, we see the Father revealing his will. When in Luke 4.40, he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them, he was doing and revealing the will of God for our bodies. John 6.38 For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. John fourteen verse nine. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me, doing His work. Do you want to know what God looks like? Look at Jesus. Do you want to see God at work? Look at Jesus. Do you want to know the will of God? Look at Jesus. Jesus is the will of God in action. John 6.38 For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of Him who sent me. Did Jesus go about making people sick? No, he went about doing good and healing, so it's God's will to heal. Acts 10.38 in the Amplified How God anointed and consecrated Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, and with strength and ability and power, and how he went about doing good, and in particular, curing all who were harassed and oppressed by the power of the devil, for God was with him. Perhaps no one would be more conservative than the scholars of the Episcopalian Church. A commission was appointed to study the subject of healing and report back to the church. After three years of study and research in both the Bible and history, they reported the following, The healing of the sick by Jesus was done as a revelation of God's will for mankind. Because they discovered that His will is fully revealed, they went on to say, No longer can the church pray for the sick with the faith-destroying, qualifying phrase, If it be thy will. The message taught everywhere in the Gospels was one of complete healing for the Spirit, soul, and body, and it applied to all who came to Him. Many today say, Well, I believe in healing, but I do not believe it is God's will for everyone. If it's not, how could we pray the prayer of faith for any, or even for one, whom it is God's will to heal, until we have a revelation by the Spirit that we are praying for the right one? If it is not God's will to heal all, then no man or woman can ascertain the will of God for themselves from the Bible. Are we to understand from these teachers that we must close our Bibles and get our revelation direct from the Holy Spirit before we can pray for the sick, because the will of God cannot be ascertained from the scriptures? How are the sick to be healed if there is no gospel good news of healing to proclaim to them as a basis for their faith? Or since faith is expecting God to keep His promise, how can there be faith for healing if there is no promise in the Bible that the sick can apply to him or herself. The scriptures plainly tell us how God heals the sick. Psalms 107.20 He sent forth His word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Jeremiah 1.12 For I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. Isaiah 55.11 So is my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to be empty but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Proverbs 4.22 For they, God's word, are life to those who find them, and health to a person's whole body. John 6.63 The words, I have spoken to you, are spirit and they are life. Hebrews one three. In the Amplified Upholding and maintaining and guiding and propelling the universe by His mighty word of power. First Thessalonians 2.13 In the Amplified The word of God which is effectually at work in you who believe, exercising its superhuman power to those who adhere to and trust in and rely in it. Let's look at God's great mercy. Nothing reveals the character of God more than these two verses of scripture. The Lord is gracious and he's full of compassion. The dictionary tells us that to be full of compassion means to be merciful. So compassion and mercy are companion terms, we might say. And if you look up the words compassion and mercy, you'll find that often the same Hebrew or Greek word is translated one time mercy and another time compassion. Therefore, to have mercy means to be full of compassion. God is full of compassion. He is of great mercy, and his tender mercies are over all his works. Psalms 145.8 The Lord is gracious and compassionate. God is full of compassion. He is of great mercy, and his tender mercies are over all his works. Psalms five eight, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion in all he has made. Usually we think of mercy only in connection with the Lord having mercy on a sinner and saving him or her. Well, that's part of it. But we also need to think of God's mercy in connection with healing. The first text we look at is in Mark chapter 1. I want you to notice some things about the Lord Jesus Christ because jesus is the will of god in action we can look at god's compassion manifested in the person of jesus notice that compassion moved jesus to heal the leper healing is a display of god's love and compassion mark chapter 1 verse 40 a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees if you are willing you can make me clean filled with compassion jesus reached out his hand and touched the man i am willing he said be clean Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Compassion compelled Jesus. So let's look at another example of the Lord's compassion in relation to healing. Matthew chapter 14.13 When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Verse 14 says that Jesus was moved with compassion. Well, what did his compassion move him to do? It moved him to heal. Verse 14 says, and healed their sick. I think that compassion of the Lord in connection with healing has been hidden from us because it has been taught that Jesus healed the sick only to prove his deity. Yet that kind of statement isn't in the Bible. Not once in all the recorded cases of healing did the Bible ever say, and to prove his deity and divinity Jesus healed them. And if the Bible doesn't say it, then we shouldn't say it either. The work of God and the harvest of souls are certainly about salvation, but please keep in mind that healing is part of the salvation message, and we will establish this later in this in the podcast. We need to consider the wonderful harvest of physical healing and mental restoration for humanity as part of God's program, not just the new birth of the human spirit. Matthew 9.36 When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. According to the Bible, Jesus healed the sick because of his compassion, not because of his deity or divinity. His compassion compelled him to do it. And thank God, he's the same compassionate Lord today. God never changes. He's the same as he was back then. So, if he was gracious then, he's gracious now. And if he was full of compassion then, he's full of compassion now. If he was merciful then, he's merciful now. Matthew 20 verse 29. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them, What do you want me to do for you? he asked. Lord, they answered, We want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. The two blind men in this passage cried out for Jesus to have mercy on them. When Jesus asked these men, What they wanted. They did not say that our sins may be forgiven. You see, we usually think of mercy in connection with forgiveness or remission of sins. We think of the mercy of God extended toward the sinner. But is he any less merciful to the sick? These men were asking for mercy in connection with healing. If they had asked for their sins to be forgiven, that would be mercy alright. But when Jesus asked them what they wanted, they answered, we want our sight. Healing is mercy too. Verse 34 says that Jesus had compassion or mercy on them and touched their eyes and immediately they received their sight and followed him. Now let's review what happened in this passage. These two blind men asked for mercy of having their eyes opened. Jesus granted them the mercy of healing, proving that healing is a mercy just as forgiveness is a mercy. In Mark chapter 5, we read that Jesus delivered a man possessed by a devil. I want to recall your attention to the fact that Jesus had mercy and compassion on this man who was possessed by a devil. This demonized man broke the chains that bound him and wandered among the tombs, crying out day and night while cutting himself with stones. Jesus had compassion upon this man, and the man was delivered, healed, clothed, and restored to his right mind. We know that Jesus delivered him out of mercy. Mark 5.19 Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. Clearly, this verse makes it plain that the Lord did great things for the man, because of the Lord had mercy on him, just as he had mercy on the sick and body. The man did just as Jesus told him to do, according to verse 20. So the man went away and began to tell everyone in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Since a man told others about the Lord's mercy, multitudes came to Jesus to be healed. How do we know that? Matthew chapter 15 tells us so. In verse 30, Great crowds came to him bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the cripple made well, the lame walking and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Now, it's important for us to realize that the setting of this passage in Decapolis, the same place the man in Mark chapter 5, was to go and tell about the Lord's mercy. You may not realize that it is the same place without a close study of the word, but it is. See Mark chapter 7 verse 31 for the parallel account of Matthew chapter 15 verse 30. As a result of this man telling about the Lord's mercy, great multitudes came to Jesus and were healed. So healing mercy makes for great advertising for the kingdom of God as well. A third example of Jesus being moved with compassion and mercy came on the occasion when he fed the multitudes. This correlates with God's heart to provide materially for us as a human parent cares for their children. God is just as interested in prospering his children as he is in healing their bodies and delivering them from the oppression of the devil. Mark 8 verse 1 During those days another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on these people. They have already been with me three days and have had nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way, because some of them came from long distance. Matthew 7 verse 9. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him philippians 4:19 and my god will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in christ jesus second corinthians 8, verse 9 for you know the grace of our lord jesus christ that though he was rich yet for your sakes he became poor so that through his poverty might become rich so could healing be classified as a good gift If parents take their sick children to the doctor to receive a remedy, how much more does our Heavenly Father want to heal us completely of anything and everything that the devil tries to put on us? Therefore, healing is a good gift. So how much more does our Heavenly Father want us healed than we do? Immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. Exodus 23.25 Worship the Lord your God, and His blessing will be on your food and water. I will take away sickness from among you and none will miscarry or be barren in your land. I will give you a full lifespan. Psalms 103 verse 2. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. So do you see the connection here? If it's God's will to show mercy in the area of forgiveness for all, that same mercy can be consistently demonstrated for healing deliverance and provision for all as well mercy isn't just something that god has or shows it's part of his nature he is the father of mercies notice that the new international version uses the word compassion and the new king james version uses the word mercy in second corinthians chapter 1 verse 3 these two words can be used interchangeably the greek word actually means pity mercy merciful or tender mercy and compassionate Second Corinthians 1 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. In the New King James Version is translated, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. This verse of scripture reveals the character of the Father God. So many times we as Christians don't see God our Father in the light that we should. Some Christians picture God as a sort of a traffic cop who's just waiting for them to do something wrong so he can blow the whistle on them. Or they picture God as an austere judge who is waiting with gavel in hand to smite them the minute they do something wrong. Or they picture God as waiting with a giant fly swatter ready to swat them as soon as they stop moving. Yes, God is against wrongdoing and he is a holy and just God. However, Second Corinthians one three tells us that he is also the Father of mercies and compassion. He may be God to the world, but he is Father to you and to me through Jesus Christ. If our perspective of God is the former, then our expectations for healing would be mighty slim. But as we become acquainted with our loving heavenly Father, we see clearly that healing is part of His nature, just as much as the remission of our sins. Romans chapter two verse four in the Amplified. Or are you so blind as to trifle with and presume upon and despise and underestimate the wealth of his kindness and forbearance and long-suffering patience? Are you unmindful or actually ignorant of the fact that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repent, to change your mind, and the inner man to accept God's will? Matthew 5 verse 43 You have heard that it is said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Acts 14.16 In the past he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. God not only wants his children healed, but also the lost, as a means of showing his mercy, compassion, and goodness to them in order to lead them to repentance. The devil wants people to think that God is as he is himself, a cruel taskmaster, making people sick and oppressed. That's called projection. The Bible clearly reveals that God is a God of love, and even in his judgments, they are acts of mercy, like Noah's flood and Sodom and Gomorrah. How would you like to be born in those generations? Jesus made it a personal mission to set the captives free, from being under Satan's oppressive curses as a consequence of breaking God's law. 1 John 3, eight. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Galatians 3.13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Acts 10.38 how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good, healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with them. If Jesus' mission on earth was to destroy the devil's work, how can it be that he wants a cancer or a plague or a curse, the works of the devil, in any of the members of his body, and the temples of the Holy Spirit? Is it not his will to heal any part of the body of Christ? If not, Why has he commanded that any sick in the body be anointed with oil according to James chapter 5 verse 14, in his name for healing? Since the body is for the Lord, a living sacrifice unto God, would he not rather have a well body than one that is a wreck? If not, how can he make us perfect in every good work to do his will? So is God's expressed will that we may abound unto every good work? That we may be prepared unto every good work? Thoroughly finished unto all good works, zealous of good works, and careful to maintain good works, only for well men and women? If for all, he would have to heal the sick to make this possible, because no man or woman can abound unto every good work while confined to a sickbed. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 21. Let's look closer at Second Corinthians 1 3 in the New King James Version. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Notice this verse doesn't say that God is the Father of mercy, singular. It says he's the Father of mercies, plural. You see, if he was just the Father of one mercy, the mercy of forgiveness toward the sinner, for example, then Paul would have called him the Father of mercy. But thank God he's the Father of mercies, and one of his mercies is healing. Some people say that healing isn't for us today or that it's only for a chosen select few whom the Lord wills to be healed. Well, is compassion for us today? Of course it is. And is the Lord still compassionate and merciful? Of course he is. We have seen in the New Testament that the words compassion and mercy are consistently mentioned in connection with healing and deliverance and provision. So we know that because of God's mercy is still for us today, healing is also for us today. Remember, God is the Father of mercies. Not only is the forgiveness of sin and the remission of sin a mercy, but healing is a mercy. If we would just think of healing as one of God's tender mercies, we'll find out right away that we'll get somewhere in this area. God is merciful to save, and he is merciful to heal, without favoritism. What God is looking for is faith. Thanks be to God for the mercy of healing. As we've already stated, Many in our day have been taught that Christ performed miracles of healing just to show his power and to prove his deity. This may be true to a degree, but it is far from being all the truth. He would not have had to heal all to show his power. A few outstanding cases would have proven this. Besides, wasn't it the devil who had tempted Jesus to prove his deity by jumping off the temple in Luke chapter four, verse nine? Others teach that he healed the sick to make himself known. His own family tried to push him into a more visible ministry in john seven one Jesus was frequently telling people to be quiet about their healing. Here are a number of scriptures matthew eight four chapter sixteen verse twenty, chapter seventeen verse nine mark seven thirty six chapter eight verse thirty, chapter nine verse nine luke five fourteen and chapter eight verse fifty six But the scriptures show that he healed because of his compassion and was to fulfill prophecy. Some who do not admit that Jesus healed all who came to him hold that Isaiah's prophecy concerning him bearing our sicknesses refers only to his earthly ministry, that this universal manifestation of his compassion was special for that time, and not a revelation of the unchanging will of God for all of eternity. But the Bible clearly teaches that he only began to do and to teach in Acts one one what was not only to be continued, but increased and continued long after his ascension. After Jesus for three years had healed all that came to him, he said in John 16.7, It is good for you that I am going away. Well, how could this be true, if his going away would diminish his ministry to the sick and the oppressed? Anticipating the unbelief with which this wonderful promise would be regarded, he prefaced his promise to continue the same and greater works in answer to our prayers after his exaltation with these words, in John chapter 14, verse 12, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing, he will do even greater works than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. We are to carry on his ministry in the earth as his body through faith in his word, and by speaking the name of Jesus. Notice Jesus did not say less works, or some works, or a few works, but greater works. This not only means more of the same of what Jesus did, but even greater manifestations of his power. To me, this statement of fact from the lips of Jesus is a complete answer to all opposers and to all their books and articles against divine healing. W.M. Jennings' Bryan asks a simple question. Since Jesus said it is written, and the devil said it is written, Why can't the preacher say, it is written? You see, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's mercy hasn't changed since Jesus' ascension, but rather it is still being manifested in Jesus' present-day ministry as our faithful high priest. During the ministry of Jesus on earth some 2,000 years ago, he was healing folks on a regular basis. For Jesus to say to his disciples, it is for your good that I am going away in John 16.7 then the wonderful healing ministry of Jesus, among other things, could not have been in decline, but on the increase, based on the statement of Jesus himself. John 16.7 But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Even though at the time the disciples could not understand that it was better for Jesus to go than for him to stay, the reason that it was better was because the Holy Spirit would be sent to live inside of us as our great comforter and his anointing would be upon us in power to fulfill the great commission. In his book, Christ the Healer, F.F. Bosworth points out that Jesus' going away could not be a good thing, and thus Jesus' statement proven untrue, if his going away would withdraw or even modify the manifestations of his compassion in healing the sick. Brother Bosworth went on to say, Every man who teaches that healing is not for all who need it today, as it was in the past, is virtually teaching that Christ's compassion toward the sick has been at least modified since his exaltation. Worse yet, others teach that Jesus' compassion in healing the sick has been entirely withdrawn. To me, it is a mystery how any minister can take a position that veils and interferes with the manifestation of the greatest attribute of deity, God's compassion, which is divine love and action. Why would Jesus be any less compassionate in his present day ministry as our faithful high priest than he was in his earthly ministry? Jesus is the same now as he was when he was on the earth. He never changes. He's the same now as he was back then. So if he was gracious then, he's gracious now. If he was full of compassion then, he's full of compassion now. If he was merciful then, he's merciful now. Hebrews two seventeen for this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Romans 8.34 Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who is raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? The same Greek word translated merciful in Hebrews 2.17 is also translated compassionate in other passages. We've already brought out the fact that both the words merciful and compassionate can be used interchangeably. Therefore, the Greek adjective translated merciful in Hebrews 4.17 could also be translated compassionate. Both of these words accurately describe Jesus our High Priest. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that Jesus our High Priest understands what we're going through, and has compassion on us. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The tender heart of God is still the same today for humanity as it's always been. In this dispensation of grace that we live in today, We have better promises and a better covenant to deal with the issues of life than we ever had before. So if Jesus is the same today as he was yesterday, if he is the same now as our exalted high priest sitting at the right hand of the Father as he was when he had walked on the shores of Galilee, then he is full of just as much compassion now as he was then to heal the sick. That means Jesus is full of just as much compassion and mercy today as he was in Matthew chapter 20 when he departed from Jericho And the two blind men cried unto him, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us, in Matthew 20 verse 29. If Jesus is the same now as he was then, then he's still full of compassion. And the Bible tells us that he is the same now as he was when he was on the earth, Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8. If we can just get people to see that, getting them healed is no problem at all. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. As a matter of fact, Jesus wants you to be healed more than you want yourself to be healed. He yearns to heal you. Because of the Lord's compassion and mercy, he wants to heal you. Just because Jesus has been exalted doesn't mean he's lost or is diminished in his mercy. The Bible doesn't teach that his mercy has been done away with or changed. Actually, it is the will of God that his healing ministry be multiplied and perpetuated all throughout the world through his body of believers anointed with the Holy Spirit and healing power. John 14.12, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. John 12.23, Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Here's a fact, Jesus wants you healed more than you do it is time to start believing in the Lord's mercy of healing. Most Christians don't have any problem at all believing in God's mercy of forgiveness for Christians, First 1 John 1, nine, because they've heard the message of forgiveness preached all their lives. And they probably don't have any problem at all believing in God's mercy toward the sinner to be saved. If a sinner came to the altar and I were praying with him, and he said, Well, I don't know whether the Lord will save me or not. I would be quick to tell him that the Lord has already forgiven him, He just has to receive the gift of eternal life. I would give him scripture after scripture about the Lord's mercy for the remission of sins. But for many, that's as far as our thinking goes. We need to expand our thinking. We need to think God's thoughts after him. So how are we going to think God's thoughts? Well, think in line with what the word says. Someone may ask, is the mercy of healing available to me? Well, is God's mercy of forgiveness available to the sinner? Yes, thank God. Is His mercy of forgiveness available to the Christian who has sinned or failed? Yes, thank you, Lord. But God's mercy doesn't stop there. His tender mercies are over all His works. Well, we can thank God for the remission of sins and the new birth, but that's not all His works. Notice again that Psalms 145 verse 9 says, Tender mercies, which is plural. The word mercy In this verse has to be plural because the verse says that God's mercies are over all his works, which is plural. God's works are plural, and his mercies are plural. Psalms 1 and 45 verse 8, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. That's in the New King James Version. Let's read it in the NIV. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all He has made. The first statement in our text above is the Lord is gracious, meaning that He is moved with compassion towards us and desires to bestow His grace and love upon us in an infinite display of affection. This glorious fact that shines with such brilliancy throughout the scriptures has been so eclipsed by modern theology that we hear everywhere, the Lord is able instead of, the Lord is gracious and willing. Christians have no problem accepting the fact that God has the power to heal them, and they have been duped into thinking that he is not willing to heal them. So how much faith does it take to say, the Lord is able to heal? The devil knows God is able, and he knows he is willing, but he has kept the people from knowing the latter fact. Satan has no problem with Christians magnifying the Lord's power, because he knows that this is not sufficient basis for faith, but he knows the Lord's compassion and willingness is to heal. First Timothy 5.22 in the Amplified, Do not be in a hurry in the laying on of hands. Before praying for the healing of people, we have to wait to teach them the word of God until they can say, The Lord is willing instead of, The Lord is able, and if it be thy will. This is exactly what Jesus had to do before healing the leper who said in Matthew eight two. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He showed his willingness by reaching out his hand and touching the leper and saying in Matthew 8, verse 3, I am willing, he said, be clean. As a result, the man's expectation was turned on to expect healing. We know that God is able to heal, and now we see in Scripture that God is also willing to heal. But let's take this one step further God delights or is passionate in showing his mercy. The Hebrew word, chapitis, reads the following, To be inclined, pleased, desire, and take pleasure in. Do you know what God says about His children giving finances into His kingdom? Second Corinthians 9, seven. For God loves a cheerful giver. This is a universal principle. God is no different in that He takes an immense amount of joy in dispensing His many tender mercies, one of which includes healing. Acts 20.35 Remembering the words of our Lord Jesus Himself. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Micah 7.18 Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Second Chronicles 16.9 For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. These scriptures show that the Lord is not only willing, but is eager and excited to pour out His blessings in great profusion upon all mankind, and faith makes it possible for Him to do so. By cooperating in line with His word through faith and obedience, according to Second Chronicles 16.9, God is on the hunt, just looking for folks that are reaching out to Him in faith and living according to His word. Generosity is a great attribute of God. Therefore, if we want to please Him, let's remove all the obstacles in our lives that would hinder Him from blessing and loving on us, since He delights in blessing us in every area of our lives. Hebrews 12.1 Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Hebrews 11.6 in the Amplified without faith it is impossible to please and be satisfactory to him. For whoever would come near to God must by necessity believe that God exists and that he is a rewarder of those who earnestly and diligently seek him out. Matthew 5.6 in the Amplified Blessed and fortunate and happy and spiritually prosperous in that state in which the born-again child of God enjoys his favor and salvation are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness uprightness, and right standing with God, for they shall be completely satisfied. Isaiah one, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Isaiah 1.19 the Amplified, If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God is infinitely good, indescribably good, beyond our wildest dreams and imaginations. He is good. Just read Psalms 136. How many times the phrase in the NIV states, His love endures forever. Or in the New King James Version, His mercy endures forever is used of our God. If we doubt His goodness, then we will doubt His willingness to heal us. God is no respecter of persons, and will pour out His love and mercy on all who call upon Him and submit in reverent obedience to His word, to walk in love and holiness. God will not condone unrepentant sin. His promises are conditional and that He requires of us is to be quick to forgive and quick to repent. Then we can expect to receive His abundant love and mercy in our lives all things that pertain to life and godliness. Psalms 97.10 Let those who love the Lord hate evil, for He guards the lives of His faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Romans 12.9 Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Micah 6, eight. He has showed you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Romans 13.8 let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever the commandment they may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Daniel 9.4 Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love, with all who love him and obey his commands first john chapter 2 verse 4 the man who says i know him but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him but if anyone obeys his word god's love is truly made complete in him this is how we know we are in him whoever claims to live in him must walk as jesus did first john 4:20 if anyone says i love god yet hates his brother he is a liar for anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. 1 John 5, two. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands and his commands are not burdensome. James one twenty one. Therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Cornelius placed himself where God's mercy could reach him by saying to Peter in Acts chapter 10 verse 33, Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. He found God's goodness so great that God could not wait for Peter to finish his sermon. Just as soon as Peter had spoken enough to be a basis for their faith, down came the blessing. They were saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. Not only is God able and willing but he is so passionate about blessing us that he does so exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think, according to Ephesians 3.20. If we are going to doubt God, it seems to me that God would rather have us doubt his ability than his willingness, since the willingness aspect of God speaks of who he is, a God of love. But thank God we don't have to doubt God in either area if we fill our hearts with God's word. Psalms 34 verse 8. Haste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Psalms 145 verse 9 The Lord is good to all. He has compassion in all he has made. All you have made will praise you. O Lord, your saints will exalt you. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might. So that all men may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. Second Chronicles chapter five verse 13. Indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever, that the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud, so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Proverbs 8 verse 17 I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. Doubting or ignoring his love and compassion grieves the heart of Jesus. It made him weep over Jerusalem. Sadly, so many times ministers have said in these days that we do not need miracles now, thinking of miracles as only a sign to prove the Lord's deity. Their ideology has so blinded them. If they had a cancer eating their body away, they would need a miracle, wouldn't they? Most people today are so in the dark on this subject that it never occurs to them that there is mercy also for the sick. Matthew twenty three thirty seven, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those who are sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They never think of the gifts of healing and miracles as being a manifestation of Christ's compassion. And that hour after hour and day after day, for three and a half years, he healed all who came to him because of his compassion. Are not the needs of sufferers today the same as they were in that day? And do they not need as much compassion as ever in the past? Where does his mercy reach us? It reaches us in the spiritual realm. And it also reaches us in the natural realm. And thank God it reaches us in the financial and material realm as well. Because of God's mercies, not because of justice or because we deserved anything, we are blessed in every area of our lives. Our God is not only able, but is ready and willing to heal you today as He has healed folks all throughout human history. And why is that? It's because God never changes. God's healing power is continually manifest today in our lives because healing is just one of His many mercies and expressions of His love and compassion for us. God is just as willing to heal us as He is willing to forgive us.
0: I highly encourage you to continue listening to the Word of Life study series podcast and encourage your friends to tune in as well. The scriptures encourage us in Acts chapter 17 verse 11 to receive the message with great eagerness and to examine the scriptures every day, in order to confirm the truth that you're hearing. God's Word is our final authority for all matters that pertain to life and godliness. I'd like to close this episode by praying over you according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when God raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And in chapter 2 verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Be blessed and see you soon.